Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Weed Week. I'm Haley Fox. I'm Alex Halperin. And we once again have an amazing episode for you today. We're going to talk to a OG dispensary owner from Los Angeles who's kind of seen it all. Um, But first, we got a lot of news to get through. And Alex, you wrote about something this week that I'm kind of dying to hear about. Tell us what it was. So have have you ever grown your own weed? No, I have not, sadly. Me neither. Me neither. (laughs) I pondered uh, brewing my own beer in the closet, but that did not happen either. So I'm very interested to hear about this. I haven't, I haven't done that either. But I wrote a story for The Guardian about about growing your own. And I mean, one of the things that's interesting about it is that it's always, it's like one of the most contentious things. Police hate it because they think it allows criminals to sort of hide in plain sight. Firefighters hate it because they're worried about the sort of setups that people have in their homes and oh, yeah. the light bulbs and the, the sort of over overpowering the electric sockets and stuff like that. And yeah, but but a lot of people really want to do it. Like 15, th- there was a survey that said 15% of Americans would grow their own weed if they could. So it's, it's going to be a pretty big deal. Do you, or is that becoming a thing like as weed becomes more universal or accepted? Is that something people want to do more or is it now that it's easier to buy, people can just buy it? Yeah. I mean, this was in the, um, the t- 2018 National Gardening oh, Survey, okay. which and this was the first year they <laughs> That's asked. That's funny in itself that it was even a part of that, but OK. And it was this was the first year they asked the question. And now there are um, like sort of fancy pods where, you know, it sort of grows it on its own and you can sort of monitor it with an app. But there are also sort of grow your own kits, which are just more like soil and some pots and stuff like that. It's amazing. It's kind of like how the or in a big part, how like craft beer started. Maybe this is like how, you know, new craft craft weed starts. Well, we'll see. <laughs> um, and maybe for a future episode, we can try growing our own it's at not, home. It's not a bad idea. I'm super into this DIY idea. Anyways, news this week, there's always a lot going on in the weed world. But when we got to say, we're going to dedicate a whole episode to this next thing because it's super complicated and interesting. CBD, which I'm sure most people have heard about, but in cannabis, there's THC, which is the psychoactive element, gets you high, can flip you out. CBD is basically the element that makes you just feel mellow. It's also the thing that people use most for treating um, ailments or, um, you know, anxiety. If you can't sleep, helps you eat. Um, So CBD has become a big thing everywhere. Um, There are two types. You can get it from cannabis. You can get it from hemp. There's a bunch of debate over whether the type you get from hemp is the same, has the same therapeutic benefits as the type you get from cannabis. And so in the meantime, kind of all these companies have been capitalizing on this. Um, You know, I mentioned in a previous episode, I did a story that now all these juice bars in LA have been adding CBD to their smoothies. Um, uh, There's a ton of makeup companies use it. It's in mascara and dog treats and literally everything you can get your hands on. Um, But what's interesting is that Leafly just reported that not only are people cashing in on the term CBD and using hemp, but a bunch of cannabis growers in Oregon have started growing hemp um, instead or in addition to their crops because hemp is relatively legal and extremely profitable. And as the price for cannabis continues to drop, which it has in Oregon and has in the past in other states as well, um, you know, these 
cultivators' profits are dropping too. So in 2015 in Oregon, there were just 12 hemp licenses. And as of a few weeks ago, that number was up to 353. That so is crazy. It's a crazy jump. And, you know, we've definitely been seeing this kind of craze in California as well. So, and that's all for CBD? Um, yeah. Because you, you know, hemp's cheaper to grow and you have to extract it and extracting CBD from cannabis, it's expensive and you then tear through all the weed. So yeah, people are basically realizing, all right, let's run with this CBD thing. So that will be very interesting to follow. And yeah, we promised to do an episode on CBD because there's so much to learn about it. Yeah. So Alex, what was the study you read this week about pregnancy? Yeah. So a study in obstetrics and gynecology found that, and CNN reported on it, found that of nearly 400 randomly selected dispensaries in Colorado, seven out of 10, which is to say seven out of 10 bud tenders, recommended cannabis as a treatment for morning sickness. Doctors are pretty worried about cannabis use during pregnancy. Um, They're afraid it can impair brain development, although there's not enough science on it to know exactly... I, I'm not exactly sure on the state of the science, but, but doctors are concerned about it. And in this case, I'm going to say trust your doctor rather than your, your bud tender. I mean, I would not say trust your bud tender for many things, but I, this is, I'm working on a story right now related to all this. Um, and it should be said, too, that there is not a lot of evidence um pointing to it having any negative effects. There was one pretty comprehensive study out of Jamaica, actually, that a lot of people refer to. Um, And in that study, they found, um, you know, no measurable impact. And because there isn't a ton of science, a lot of people are kind of playing devil's advocate and saying, you know, it's really not as bad. Um, Obviously, we don't know enough about it. Um, but I have heard too of a lot of women with really bad morning sickness when nothing else works. Um, they'll use cannabis and it's the only thing that works. So decide on your own. But that is also something, you know, we'd like to get into in the future because the the science and the medical opinion um, is very split on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'd be pretty worried. If I was in the industry, I would be pretty worried that this could create a major scandal at some point if it if you're in the in the cannabis mm-hmm. industry you mean yeah oh in terms of bud yeah i mean i don't know if bud like i said i don't know if bud tenders should be offering medical advice period <laughs> but yeah i thought it was important to point out because i have been talking to a lot of people who said um you know especially compared to other substances people might use um alcohol tobacco opioids uh, marijuana is very low very low on the list. Um, oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And might not be on the list really at all. But that's, uh, <laughs> that is TBD. So also, I know we talk a lot about California specifically and the West Coast um, and even the U.S., but this next story comes all the way across the world pretty much from Estonia. And apparently there is a municipality in Estonia. Um, it's called canopy canopy i'm winging it i don't know how you pronounce it um but it has adopted the cannabis leaf as its official civic symbol so it's basically designed this um silver 
weed leaf on a green shield. And that's going to be the area's official logo and coat of arms. And apparently they did this not just because they're super like weed enthusiasts, but because uh, the name of the city actually comes from the word for marijuana in Estonian. So fun fact from Hmm. across the world. Um, also, if you happen to be listening from Estonia or know anything about it, please email us because I'm dying to know how to pronounce it um, and some more of this backstory. And we can, we're can we going to post a picture, hopefully, when I track one down. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And this last one, Alex, wrap us up on the uh, news. Yeah. So there, there was a Supreme Court case um, voted seven to two, um, which decided that states can legalize sports gambling. And um, this is just important for uh, cannabis because uh, states' rights is obviously an important concept in for the industry. And, and so this was widely seen as a victory for the Tenth Amendment and states' rights and federalism. And so people think that basically this ruling will then, or leaves the potential to then be applied to right. the weed industry? Or, or at least sort of shows sort of the court's thinking on the concept of federalism, not necessarily applied to cannabis. But we do not recommend (laughs) mixing cannabis and sports betting. Unless you want to make a lot of money in Vegas, Um, which by the way... (laughs) Haley's a real digger. I'm trying, I'm really trying to, uh, yeah, I'm playing devil's advocate today. Okay, cool. Well, that's our news. We're going to get to our interview, which today we're talking to Janice Hardoon. She's been in the cannabis industry for more than a decade. She opened a medical marijuana collective um, in Koreatown, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles, in 2006. And although she moved out of that neighborhood, she kept the name K-Town Collective and now runs a dispensary on Melrose Avenue that sells to uh, medical and adult use patients. So another thing of note, her shop is one of the approximately 135 cannabis stores in LA that are called pre-ICO, which has a long technical background, but basically means they've been around for at least 10 years and have been deemed good operators and they got first dibs on applying for licenses now that it's legalized. So let's get to Janice. Hi, Janice. Yes, ma'am. I'm here with Alex, my co-host. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, let's get into it. You know, you have been in the industry for a long time. I would love for you to tell us a bit about your start and, you know, how you've made the transition to this fully regulated legal market. That's a big question. Um, I've been doing this for over 10 years now. I ended up in this industry by accident. Um, I actually, my husband's two nephews, actually wanted to enter into this business and they were from New York and I was the resident, the California resident, and they used my name. Hmm. Um, The first one had some other issues and he wasn't able to stay in the industry and the second one came from New York and then told me, Auntie, it's too much work. I can't (laughs) do this. And it was literally a very quick learning lesson of be a brick or be a sponge and learn about, at that time, marijuana very quickly. Um, We've evolved, and I think I've dealt with every curveball that's been thrown to me. And coming into 2018 and this whole track and trace, and right now I'm trying to catch every pitch that's being thrown to me 
as quickly and as adequately as possible. I'm probably not your girl that loves rules and regulations. <laughs> I, like, I like to see the rules and regulations, and I like structure, and I can thrive in that. I just want my list, and I'll go through my list, and what I can do, I will check off and keep going. What I'm unable to, I will go and find the person that can handle that task. I was just thinking, you know, your your nephews just reached out and said they want to get into this illegal industry, and you said, okay, you, you know, I mean, my aunts probably wouldn't wouldn't do that. I mean, what did what did you have to learn to sort of get on board with this? I first sought out like attorney's advice, and I came across a lawyer that is really still by my side today, and he's been through thick and thin with me. Um, William Kroger. He was awesome. And had it not been for him, I wouldn't be sitting here today. He helped me actually get the pre-ICO paperwork that we still have today. Um, He has taught me so many things. And I, in the beginning, wouldn't cross the street without asking his advice. Um, In 2008, it was a totally different beast, this whole cannabis industry. at, at that point, you could imagine people didn't know what to do with trim and things of that sort. And I used to, one man's trash was another man's treasure. And I figured out what to do with trim and small buds. All the, the flower people didn't want to do, I figured out what to do with it. And, you know, today I use that type of stuff to make pre-rolls and edibles and things of that sort that people use to medicate. From your Koreatown location where your shop got its name to Melrose Avenue um, in 2013. Um, And I'm curious, you know, um, since then, or I guess specifically since adult use became legal, what has been kind of some of the most jarring parts of legalization? What about this fully regulated structure has been the most difficult for you to kind of adjust to? The, the, it's not that it's been difficult to adjust. The hardest part for me to justify is that the taxes, the justification of the taxes mm-hmm. has been horrendous because the two, the two sections that are getting hit and the burden is falling on is the medical patient and the dispensary owner. Those, those two sections are bearing the biggest burden here. Um, the patients are not used to seeing, it's almost a little over a 30% tax increase on their medications. So say someone came to spend $100 before 2018, now they're spending over $130 for the same type of medicine. Mm-hmm. If they were going into CVS and buying their meds for whatever doctor prescribed them, they wouldn't be paying a sin tax on their prescriptions. Um, I can understand if they were buying beer and alcohol or tobacco, you're paying a sin tax. But really, marijuana is a miracle plant, and we're using all parts of the plant to really heal and help do a lot of medicinal things for people. Why are we paying a sin tax, and why is it so hefty, and why are the medical patients bearing the burden of that? Um, I've had patients come through, and once they get hit with that excise tax, they're leaving their medicines at the window. They're not taking them. They're leaving. The recreational or the adult use patient that has no clue that's coming from another state, they don't know the difference. How have your 
the experiences of your uh, aside from the taxes are they do they want different things are they more demanding in terms of things like pesticides since since legalization my collective has really always been run very stringently and i am the filter so we've always been very careful about pesticides and where our medicine comes from so where we either cultivated ourselves or we contracted our own cultivators to contract we were able to control our pesticides things that were used in our cultivation so i don't have those issues of pesticides and everything like that and everyone getting so uptight about that i don't know that california is so far ahead of the curve i don't know that that's such an issue i mean you hear a lot about pesticides and things of that sort because now as we start manufacturing and we start getting into more vape oils and things like that and you're looking at things into the billionth as they do into concentrates and things of that sort you're starting to see these amounts of chemicals and things of that sort that are in your vape oils but if your technology hadn't been so advanced, you probably wouldn't know that these amounts were even there. If you're eating it, uh, oil, it's going through your liver, so it's not toxic as it is when you're vaping it, and that pesticide is different when you're vaping it, and it could have an effect in your lungs. So it's different types of things for different pesticides and where the use of those pesticides are. So it's not just a flat line or you can draw a line down the middle and say, this is toxic because of this use or that use. And you really need to be able to define what it is. talked to you before you talked a bit about what it was like um, back in the beginning and obviously um, uh, other people I spoke with who were around at that time talked a lot about the raids and the um, you know police presence and obviously living on that side of the law or in this you know at, at best gray area now you have the somewhat security of knowing that you are licensed, which you are. Um, but do you think, I guess, is the trade-off worth it to you? Are you overall happy now with this fully legalized market or has the burdens and the kind of, um, I know, financial costs to you outweigh any of the goods? No, I'm not happy with it. I mean, I felt, I always felt like I was safe in the old world. I, don't, I mean, I think that your behavior, how you carry yourself, how you run your business, how you treat others, how you discipline your staff and how they carry themselves is how the public is going to um, take you. As far as getting into what happened in 2018 and track and trace and, and it goes from, you know, seed to sale and let's make sure we know where every little seed has been dropped and where every little bud ends up outside the door it's just the most difficult thing in the world for a girl like me I mean I'll be honest it's just that's so much detail and it's crazy I mean I don't even know how someone that's in the diamond business knows where every one of their diamonds is when they spill them out on the table how do they know they got them all back in the pouch I was always mesmerized by <laughs> That's that. That's a good analogy. <laughs> so, like, how do you know, like, every little bud ended up back in, you know, in there? I mean, I think that California, 
you know, I don't know that they know. I mean, it's a perishable item. It's a commodity. It's a perishable commodity. You know, Northern California, let's say, is the cultivating part, and Southern California is the manufacturing zone. Um, there's one source of public that's in Northern California, and a lot of the wealth is down in Southern California. Look at Los Angeles just in itself as the municipality is taking, dragging their feet, getting the licensing and getting everything together. L.A. should be the epicenter for cannabis. I mean, this should really help Los Angeles really thrive. I mean, it should really be a lot to develop the communities and really enrich some of the different suburbs and bring a lot of jobs into the community. And because L.A. is dragging its feet, because I don't know if it's politics and the politicians are, are fighting over whatever's going on, they're losing opportunities because this is huge, tremendous job growth. And whether it's cannabis or whether you're just a general mills and you're making cornflakes, guess what? It's a tremendous opportunity, and they're looking at it the wrong way. It's going to go somewhere else. It's going to start in Long Beach, or it's going to go to San Diego, like other industries, and it's crazy. So everyone needs to like take a moment and think about the positives. I know in uh, speaking with you prior, you had mentioned all the um, improvements and money that you've spent in the past few months, even in terms of um, upgrading a security system. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what kind of money you've had to invest just to make sure you are now compliant. The capital improvements for the store have been tremendous. Um, we had to go from the front door to the back door to securing. Um, we have almost like a bank safe vault in the back. We have to be able to take the, the product out of the showroom and lock it in a secure limited access room. Um, the cannabis has to be um, locked away so that the consumer can't touch it. We had to put in. We had to put in for the employees a handicapped bathroom, make everything handicap accessible, which a lot of we did have. We had to move walls so that we have a bigger showroom, a smaller reception room, the front room. We had to reinforce the windows so that you couldn't um, get through them. We had to put in. I think we have like a 24 security, so 24 security cameras now. I think 12 of them are on the roof. just on your shop? Yeah, and we only have 1,100 square, 1, 1, square feet. We have like 12 on the roof. I have a, I have a crow oh that wakes God. me up every morning at 6 a.m. and I get my phone call because I have such a sensitive sensor up there. Um, it's crazy. Uh. It's crazy. We have a door that has a button that unlocks, and when you look at it, it has like six bolts to go through it. So you can't get through it. And all this was to be compliant. And the craziest thing is that I have a server... That had to, it was called just the server itself costs about fifty thousand dollars, and it stores ninety days of continuous video. So even when we're not there from ten p.m. to ten a.m., it's still recording that time. So we're That's storing crazy. it for ninety. Right. So what you're having where you could have a, a server that was half the amount of storage, we had to have double the amount of storage. So it was just an exorbitant expense. We probably had to spend up three or four hundred thousand dollars just in upgrades to meet the code and have everything signed off by building and safety. So I mean, and I don't own do, the building. The license stays with the building. What do you see as the the path to this getting better or more reasonable? 
Well, I think that's going to take a lot of lobbying and a lot of people getting the ear of the politician because now it's in the politician's hands to correct the taxes, the excise tax especially, um, so that those get reduced, so that we shut down the gray market, the black market. That's got to go. I mean, there's there should be no exceptions for having illegal stores. I mean, if a police officer drives down the street and there's an illegal store there, there should be nothing done but a police officer should go in and write him a citation and it should be a $10,000 citation, say, for instance. I mean, no excuse. And if they get another citation, make it $15,000. And after the third one, go in there and close up the store and raid it. I mean, I understand raids are expensive, so go the citation route, make them pay the ticket. But there should be no excuses. I mean, why am I competing against an illegal store that's not paying taxes? And I am paying taxes. And are, are you referring to actual, like, storefront? Uh, yeah, there are store store front, cannabis too? stores that do not have mm-hmm. city license. And Most of them, right? There's a lot of them that do not. There should only be 134 that do mm-hmm. have a city license. It shouldn't be a hard thing to do. And they have police officers that drive by, and they know who has them and who doesn't. It's posted on your front window. Why should they not be subject to the same type of scrutiny that I am? It's a fair point. I I think what you bring up, too, about the uh, enforcement is a huge, huge part of this. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Janice. We really appreciate your time and good luck. (laughs) <laughs> with everything like you're gonna need that <laughs> i mean it sounds like it sounds like everyone's gonna need it i mean it's it's yeah what you're up against is daunting we need the help and it's gonna take a village to get it right right all right thank you thank you so you're much welcome. we'll talk you guys to you have soon. a great day thank you, you. too Bye-bye. bye that was janice hardoon and you can visit her shop the k-town collective on melrose avenue in los angeles all right that's our episode this week thanks for listening for lots more cannabis news, you can subscribe to the Weed Week newsletter at weedweek.net. And you can write to us this week. We want to hear from you about whether you think the industry is better off now that it's legalized. Uh, send your answers to weedweeknews at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to please go subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating. Um, we're still a new show. I feel like I'm going to say that for the first five years, but we are still a new show, so it really does count. Um, you can find me on Twitter at EPFox, like the animal. And I'm on Twitter at Alex Halpern. Our producer is Hannah Smith, and Alicia Byer wrote our theme music. So we will catch you next week. Thanks. Bye.